bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you can join us. Today, I'll be talking to a very special and qualified guest about the gender cult. On Friday, news outlets reported that for the first time ever, the Miss Universe beauty pageant will include men. Men pretending to be women, erroneously labeled trans women. This is all part of a bizarre and destructive trend most Americans started to notice bullying its way into the mainstream a couple of years ago. Suddenly, it seemed like every major institution was trying to convince us that transgenderism was a legitimate concept. Transgenderism is the idea that males are not necessarily boys or men, and females are not necessarily girls or women. Transgenderism is the idea that people can be whatever gender they identify with. There can even be people with no gender at all. Transgenderism quickly went from a fringe belief to one we couldn't escape or disagree with. We learned that this wasn't about tolerating cross-dressers. No, this was much bigger. Now, apparently there is a push to poison young minds with these demented ideas. We learned they installed curricula and there are teachers ready to plant in the minds of young, gullible students the idea that you can be born in the wrong body. Teachers have even helped minors hide from their parents their intent to so-called transition. Furthermore, the transgender push included a widespread campaign to build acceptance for and normalize sex changes. London has the largest gender clinic in the world. The Gender Identity Development Service opened in 1989. Over its first decade, it saw an average of 14 patient referrals a year. By 2021 to 2022, that number exploded to nearly 3,600 patients a year with a waiting list of more than 5,000. Part of the gender movement also includes punishment for those who don't go along with this massively demented campaign. People have been fired for so-called trend misgendering, a term used to describe when you call someone by their actual sex rather than their preferred pronoun. No, they want us to celebrate it and not notice what's obviously happening here, that being that there's a mental illness contagion on the loose. In Canada, which continues devolving into a state of tyranny and absurdity every time we look there, a British Columbia court ruled that misgendering is a human rights violation. The transgender movement has been approved and endorsed by the most powerful institutions in the West. In addition to the Canadian government, the Biden presidential administration is also fully on board. It has hired as its assistant secretary for health, a man pretending to be a woman named Rachel Levine. The media, of course, is fully on board, as is entertainment and large corporations. So, what is happening here? And how do we get here? For answers to that most pressing question and others about this gender revolution, I interviewed an expert on the matter, Dr. Miriam Grossman. Uh, Dr. Grossman is a psychiatrist of 40 years. She is an author of multiple books, including her latest, Lost in Trans Nation, a child psychiatrist guide out of the madness. Dr. Grossman, thank you so much for writing this book and for taking the time to talk about it. Oh, sure. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on your show, Paul. Yes. So I want to start off with this. Um, in your book, 
you uh you at the beginning you talk about the world's largest gender clinic being in london and you start you discuss about how it used to refer 14 patients a year uh, for for the longest time, I believe you said it started in 1989. But then in 2021, that up went way up, and and it, it's gone up to about 3,600, I believe, referrals and or procedures, and many more thousands in waiting. My my first question is going to be, and we're going to d- dive into a lot of that too. But is there any medical or scientific legitimacy to this? transgender trend that we're seeing this idea of gender fluid or uh or sex fluid or whatnot is there any uh, scientific or medical legitimacy to this idea well you know i always i start many interviews um by reminding the audience that um there are two sexes male and female and that is established at conception it is not randomly assigned at birth, which is what we're being asked to believe now, what kids are being told to believe. Sex is not assigned by the doctor in the delivery room. It is established and it is permanently established at conception. So when you ask me if there's any medical basis for this ideology, uh, uh, I no, there is not. It's a it's a belief system. It's more it's more similar to a religion than anything else. It has its basic uh, religious tenets that are held uh, in a sacred way that cannot be questioned, that cannot be debated. Uh, so that's very important for your audience to understand. It is a belief system. When you talk about having a gender identity separate from your physical reality, mm-hmm. your physical biological reality of being male or female, which is based on chromosomes, uh, uh, generally, yeah, it's based on whether or not there's a Y, you have a Y chromosome. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but basically, Yes. Anyone that has a Y chromosome is male, and humanity is divided into male and female, whereas this ideology, this belief system, tells us that male and female is based on feelings, is based on inner experience, mm-hmm. and that that is more important than biology. Well, and so let, let's, is there, because... I think they're aware of this argument. And so is this where the gender part comes in? Because as I've heard in the reading that I've done, it appears to me that they're willing to admit that sex is pretty foundational, like you said, to the DNA. But they're saying gender is a different thing. Are we misunderstanding something there? Is there any legitimacy to this gender idea? Or is that their way to kind of get around uh, of reality? Well, when it comes to biology, uh, the proponents of this are uh, very much uh, manipulating and spinning, if you will, biological facts. They are, for example, arguing that because there are intersex people, which are people who have either a chromosomal abnormality or some other medical issue, very rare conditions, that because they exist, that means there's more than male and female. Um, and that is that is not correct. 
even intersex people are either uh, their reproductive systems are designed to either produce sperm or eggs. Mm -hmm. The reason that we say that people are, e the definition of a male is somebody who produces sperm or whose reproductive system is designed to produce sperm. He may have some medical problems that make him infertile, or he may have some genetic you know, abnormality that results in infertility. That does not mean he's not a male. Right. And the same for a female is somebody who produces, who reproduces by means of um, of ovum and eggs, producing yeah. eggs, ovaries. And if you have a female who is infertile and unable to produce eggs, that does not make her some other sex. Right. Now, the proponents of this ideology are arguing that sex is an endlessly complicated thing. That it that it is not just about, you know, XX, XY. It is terribly complicated. It has to do with culture and society and yeah. all sorts of things. So yeah. they are trying, they are co-opting by trying to co-opt, uh, uh, you know, or how should I put, colonize biology and use it in the way that would support their arguments. But that is incorrect. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com So let's go into where this is coming from you do such a terrific job of uh, of going into these groups who in a way on the on the exterior perhaps they're posing as a medical uh, guideline uh, experts and things like that but it turns out they're more activists than anything you mentioned i think wpath and seekus and even planned parenthood feel free to go into as much details as you as you see necessary to explain how these activists posing as medical experts have pretty much caused it seems like what we're seeing and correct me if i misinterpreted what you have written no that is correct uh, as i discuss in my book um how did i even get to be interested in all of this um you know there was there were many years when i never thought that i would even see one patient in my entire career who suffered from what we used to call gender identity disorder or what's now called gender dysphoria, which is an intense discomfort with one's physical sex. Mm -hmm. um, it was so rare, it occurred at the rate of like one in many tens of thousands of people. So I never thought I would see anybody. I, I In medical school, in my training, 
my residency, I never had any contact, met anybody who had this condition. And now that's really all I do in my office is I see these kids and their parents. So the way that I got involved with this is um, back in the 2000s, I was uh, writing a book about sex education. And I happened to come across what kids were being told about gender. And I wrote a book, which actually you may have not even heard about, but um, you're teaching my child what? And it just came out in paperback about two weeks ago. And in that book written, came out in 2009, I warned parents that kids were being told that this thing, gender identity exists, and that they were being told that humanity is not divided into male and female, that it's a terribly complex and thorny issue that requires many pages of clarification, that it has to do with an internal sense and experience. It has to do with the society, society's expectations, and all sorts of non-scientific, non-medical arguments, arguments that come out of uh, you know, political science and sociology and radical um, ways of wanting to change our society and to blur the distinctions, as I wrote in that book 14 years ago, to blur the distinctions between male and female. But now, where we are now, is actually to eliminate the distinctions between male and female. And the reason that's so dangerous is because biology, hard science, um, you know, laboratory science, medicine tells us that the distinctions between male and female are very significant and widespread. In fact, every cell with a nucleus, which is 99.9% of all cells in our bodies, are stamped either male or female, yeah. and those chromosomes in the nucleus have an effect on the functioning of that cell, whether it's a cell that's in the heart or the brain or uh, in the, in the you know, musculoskeletal system, in the GI system, uh, wherever it is, we are stamped, permanently stamped, male and female. And so the way that we even study disease these days yeah. and the way that we study um, drugs and the development of new pharmaceuticals always has to take into consideration whether we're talking about males or females right. because we react differently to disease. We develop diseases differently. We respond to pharmaceuticals differently. Right. So hard science is going in the other direction of highlighting the differences, the permanent differences between male and female. And so how is, uh, explain how WPATH, uh, which I guess sir, it, it poses, a, is it a medical, they create medical guidelines, but you explain in your book how it, it, it's actually activists. It's, it's not based on that science. What power right. do they have and who else has these powers to set these guidelines, which apparently are somewhat blindly followed? Is that correct? They have a lot of power. WPATH stands for the World Professional Association uh, for transgender health. Mm -hmm. Now, at one point, 
maybe 20, 25 years ago, it was a bona fide professional organization looking out for uh, these individuals who suffer, and I'm not going to minimize that. There are people who certainly suffer tremendously from this condition, and they deserve our sympathy and they deserve our help. So WPATH was established to help these people and to um, determine from a medical perspective and psychiatric perspective, how we can help them to feel better and to thrive and do better in life. The thing is that that organization, as it evolved, it became a advocacy organization, much more so than a professional medical organization, to the point that uh, a number of their senior uh, officials actually had to left. They simply left the organization. I talk about how Stephen uh, Levine, Dr. Stephen Levine, from Case Western Reserve University in Ohio was a prominent member of that organization for 25 years. And he played a major role in coming up with standards of care. Uh, But when he realized around 2000, 2001, that the organization was basically taken over by, um, you could say, uh, you know, just advocates for for um, uh, patient patient autonomy. Okay, instead of good medicine, and instead, you know, in the medical field, we come up with all sorts of treatments, right? But we're not going to just tell patients, "You come to us. You tell me what you want." If you want this medication, I'm giving it to you. If you, you know, I'll write a prescription. You just tell me what you want. If you want to have surgery, I'll do it because you want it. And I trust that you know best what's good for you. We don't do that in any other field of medicine. We do do that in gender medicine. That's that's so that's so crazy. And they do that with children as well now, don't they? Yes. Yes, absolutely. In this country and in Canada, not in other countries, we practice what's what's called, it's an Orwellian term, gender affirming care, mm-hmm. which means that we affirm the identity that the child or the other, the young person comes up with. Yes. No matter their age, no matter, you know, what other psychiatric issues they may have, we're supposed to affirm that identity and give them what they want, whether it's puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones or operations. Yeah, And that is what WPATH promotes. They call it patient autonomy at every age. This is insane. This is not the practice of medicine. Now, unfortunately, as you mentioned, WPATH does have tremendous power. They are the organization that um, they come up with what they call standards of care. And those standards of care are followed by hospitals, clinics. They're followed, you know, in court when there might be um, a lawsuit or a, you know, against a practitioner uh, uh, for for doing surgery on somebody or 
whether, uh, you know, a hospital might need to, you know, they point to these standards of care if they're brought to courts and the lawyers and, um, and judges, they don't know better. Right. And they get W path and they say, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a medical organization and they're calling these, these standards of care. They're calling them standards of care and they're calling them evidence-based and they're presenting them as if there's a consensus. There is no consensus. And I said this uh, when I testified at the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. a few months ago, there is no medical consensus. There is a debate. And in places like Sweden, Denmark, uh, Finland, and Norway, the United Kingdom, which are so-called very progressive countries, very LGBT-friendly countries, they have made a U-turn when it comes to their treatment of minors yeah. with gender dysphoria. They examined the evidence, they looked at it very closely, and they decided there is no evidence of benefit, long-term evidence. We have to look at long-term. When it comes to kids, we can't just look at six months or a year or even a few years. We have to look at how they feel when they're 25, 30, 35, when they have lived a little bit of life, when they have gone as far in life as to consider perhaps, you know, having biological children and then realizing that that ability was taken from them when they were teenagers or young adults. All right, parents, listen up. We've all seen the countless examples of how radical, radical leftists have been destroying American schools. It's no longer just about the terrible math and reading levels. Now radical left teachers birthed from liberal universities are forcing gender indoctrination in, in kindergarten. They're teaching lessons on white guilt. Freedom Project Academy has perfected live on, online learning over the course of a decade. I get a ton of great feedback about this program, a ton. They're built on Judeo-Christian values, a classical curriculum. What does that mean? It means they're taught, your children are ta taught the way that the founding generations of the country. My own son Noah did Freedom Project Academy for uh, several years uh, when he was younger. The more we tell our friends about these things, the more people will get on board. And I, and I believe that we can be the catalyst to some real change. We must save the West. Our way of life and our culture is under attack. And because of patriots like you and your project, I have optimism for the future. Let's go back to this idea, this, these guidelines, because this is the reason a lot of the clinicians or people in the medical field who are performing this, who are helping perpetuate this, are going along with it because they believe in the legitimacy of the guidelines. Is that correct? Yes. They, they, well, that's one reason. You have to also say that they might very much believe in the ideology. They might also believe in their bank accounts. Mm. Um, you know, being filled. Um, so there, there's a lot of factors at play here. But some but, of them are coming out and, 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 but some of them are also coming out as whistleblowers, right? You document some of them in your book as well. Well, there has been, thank God, an incredible whistleblower who came out in February of this year. Um, her name is Jamie Reed. And she was um, on the staff of the uh, gender clinic for kids at in St. Louis at Washington right. University in St. Louis. 
and she blew the whistle on them. And uh, that happened in the middle of me writing my book. And when I heard about her and I read her affidavit, I immediately knew that I had to write one or two chapters just about Jamie Reed, which I did. Right. Um, and she very bravely came out. And this is a woman who describes herself as, um, you know, to the left of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> okay. Her, her life partner is a woman who lives as a man. Okay. So this is a very, uh, liberal, uh, uh, I mean, she, she, you know, she's she, all in on this. Not kind of. a MAGA support. She's not a MAGA person. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, but you see, see, she, Jamie Reed saw so much, so much wrong being done to kids in her clinic that she felt she had to speak up. And what she saw was recklessness that we're hearing about. Can you talk about more about that? Because it is as scary and reckless as as we've heard, right? Out there from, from coast to coast. I mean, these kids are going in and like you said, they're saying, this is what I want. And I've uh, you mentioned how apparently there's this ideology that we have to make them happy now. And we're obviously not taking in consideration what they're gonna be like as adults. Can you go into some of the recklessness that is happening around the country? You know, it's, it's very disturbing. Uh, she testified that one of the doctors in her clinic said, we are flying the plane as we are building it. Mm -hmm. In other words, we are using these medical interventions, hormones, referring kids for surgery, at the same time that we don't know precisely what the heck we're doing. Right, that's crazy. We don't have the evidence, we don't have the data uh, of how these kids are going to end up eventually. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is. It is just. Uh, I don't know. It's difficult to find words. It's a calamity. It's a medical calamity. Uh, in the same way that we had some decades ago, the. Uh, uh, you know the lobotomies that we were doing on people. It's yeah. It's, um, you mentioned that, and that's that always comes up as an example of when. Uh, I guess psychiatrist or you know uh, whatever they they this was another example where they really missed 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 the ball on that and I take it you think this is the same here obviously well there are there are differences but there are similarities as well um what's gone on how can this happen you see the the professional organizations have been captured for example the American Academy of Pediatrics that is the, they have 67,000 members. Okay, this is the association that almost every pediatrician in the country, and indeed probably all over the world, is going to turn to for guidance on how to help kids. Not only with this issue, with all kinds, with every issue, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Mm -hmm. So what happened there is that it is going on for quite quite a long time, probably for about 20 years, is that there are um, activists that wish to change our, our society and they feel justified in using their positions as doctors in these uh, 
group in these professional groups um, to 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 bring change to the world. And what do I mean by that? I mean that they advocate, for example, they tell parents um, uh, that if their young child comes to them and states that they are the opposite sex and they want to be called by a different name and different pronouns and all the rest of it, that the parents must go along with it. They really have no other choice and that research has shown that kids will do best yeah. uh, if we go along with it. And if we don't, that that their risk of suicide is very high. Yeah. Well, talk about yeah. the the error of that because you 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 address that as well. Pronoun calling them by their pronouns and going along with it—that's not a good plan, is it? If you are in fact a, a parent who's facing this 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 kind well, of situation, what parents need to know is that we don't have evidence that 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 helps in the long run. What we do have evidence of is that it it is more likely to solidify the false identity. Now, what we want, at least doctors like myself, and I think any decent human being, would want to um, avoid unnecessary medical in and surgical interventions in a child who's physically healthy and simply has an emotional condition uh, and they are part of a social contagion which is leading them down this path to want to identify as the opposite sex to be convinced that they were born in the wrong body medically impossible to be born in the wrong body so yes i do say to parents that they should not go along with what's called socially transitioning their child yeah. because it is the first step it may seem benign it may seem to be a kindness it is not a kindness to to make believe that your child might be might actually be in the wrong body it's not a kindness to kindness to go along with your child's false belief that they might be happier living as the opposite sex Right. We have no evidence that that's the case. And and you have it's you present some data that show that in the past whatever data we have on this kids tend to uh grow out of this, right? And part of it is uh you connect it with this with uh, puberty blockers and other things that prevents them from the ev evolution as adults, which is a shame because that's partly what helps them come out of this, right? Can you can you explain a little bit more of that? Of course. Well, let me first explain that when people point to data and they point to the data that we've had for a few decades they are referring to data on kids with a completely different type of gender dysphoria than the kids that we're seeing now. They're referring to a small study that was done in uh, Holland in the 90s and into the 2000s on a small group, 55 kids. They started out with 70. They uh, they got you know they they did not allow. Uh, a number of them to participate because they had all sorts of problems, um, emotional or physical issues, family issues. They ended up with 55 kids. And to make a long story short, 
These are kids that all had severe gender dysphoria from an early age. Yeah. From from an early age, age three, four, five. And it was consistent and persistent. And it got worse with the start of puberty. Their symptoms of dysphoria, their unhappiness with their bodies, got worse with the beginning of puberty. And this is really important. Anyone who had significant psychiatric issues was excluded. Okay. Yeah, we're going to need to get to that. I mean, anyone who was, you know, had severe anxiety, depression, suicidality, self-harm, they were excluded. They say I'm part of a global plan. I don't think so. It's too hot. It's too cold. You know what? The weather changes. Here's the news, Dad. Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. Ditch the fake news and always get the truth. Go to thenewamerican.com. Now, where are we at now, Paul? What's gender-affirming care says that everyone, every child, no matter if they came out with their gender dysphoria two months ago and they never expressed any discomfort with their bodies, no matter if they are have mental illness, they could even be you know, hallucinating. I've been involved with legal cases in which the child was so mentally ill, they actually had hallucinations. Yeah. And the practitioners of gender affirmation still went ahead and did their you know, social transition and medical transition. That's such an important point because I was, I definitely wanted to make sure that I touch on that with you because the question still remains, what is causing this? You already touched part on it and that is, it is a social contagion. We know that kids are obviously susceptible to things like that, but it sounds like the data also show what we all suspect is that there are mental issues here. And you said there is a, the, the data show that there's a correlation between especially autism, but also depression and anxiety. So that's really partly what's causing this. Do we have kind of like a, 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 a soup here of social contagion uh, mixed with legitimate mental issues? Is that what this, what's causing this? Well, that's one factor. It's also driven by the internet and by Hollywood and by you know, sex educators and by, you know, what's happening in the schools, teachers and guidance counselors. But yes, the emotional issues play a very big part in it. For example, I will explain, let's say in autism, and we we know that a high percentage, maybe 40% of kids uh, who are identifying as the opposite sex uh, are on the autism spectrum. Now, why is it that so many of them are attracted to this way of thinking? Well, autistic individuals, people who are on the spectrum, uh, they they are characterized, number one, by having social deficits, which means they have difficulty in, um, in picking up on social cues, um, on, you know, understanding uh, facial cues and communicating emotions properly and, and understanding jokes, especially sarcasm and knowing what, you know, w- w- 
what it is that people actually mean when they say it. They think in a much more concrete way. They think in a black and white way. But the long and short of it is that they, many of these kids have always had trouble making friends and fitting into a peer group. And so they hit, well, they also, a lot of them have sensory issues. And so they might feel uncomfortable with their bodies for various reasons. When puberty hits and they begin to develop as boys and girls, they they might feel an, an intense feeling of discomfort. Their periods might make them feel extremely uncomfortable. And they they want very much to believe that there's a place where they belong. Um, they want to fit in. And when they're exposed to this belief system that tells them, oh, you don't fit in, you don't have friends, you have a lot of worries and anxiety, you're depressed, it's hard for you to get through the day, you're having trouble making, you know, having have a peer group, having friends. Well, it might be because you're in the wrong body. And you might really be a girl. You might really be a boy. Why don't you try out living as the opposite sex? Why don't you try out a different name and pronouns and see if you feel better. So they'll go in that direction. They're going to be, you know, they'll do anything just to feel better. Anyone who has, um, I mean, not just kids, but obviously adults as well. Yeah. When we're unhappy, when we're miserable, when we're lonely, you know, like we'll do almost anything to feel better. We want to believe there's a way out. We want to believe there's a solution. Yeah, And so this is the solution that's placed in front of them. And they begin to believe in it with all their heart and all their soul. They go online to YouTube and they binge on watching, you know, there's thousands of um, young people who have uh, documented their, uh, you know, their, their, I don't like the word transitioning, but I'll use it anyway. How, you know, they're using testosterone i've been on testosterone a month i've been on testosterone two months my voice is is beginning uh to 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 fall um you know the the tone of my voice in, in other words is lowered i'm beginning to grow facial hair i love it people are thinking i'm a boy i feel so great this was the answer to everything and this draws in younger kids they're yeah. being groomed they're being led along this path. And that's why one of my appendices for parents is uh, contains detailed instructions on how to get control of your child's internet use. But to get back to the mental illness part of it, they really are convinced that this is the answer. And, you know, if there were such a thing as being born in the wrong body, I mean, my gosh, I mean, wouldn't you be totally freaked out and upset and preoccupied with that and wanting to fix it. Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine waking up every morning and thinking that, gosh, you know, I'm inhabiting this body that's wrong that I wasn't really meant to be in. I have a girl's brain and a boy's body. Yeah. That's torture. That could be. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if you're a child and you obviously don't have the the mental faculties and and the years of experience to learn to deal with that kind of I mean that's trauma that I think nobody would wish on themselves. How come there aren't um, is we got a minute and some whatever I want to um, 
are there more doctors like you? I imagine there are. And are we are, are we are we going to be able to get out of this thing without damaging any more people? Or is the truth becoming apparent and are people finally saying no more? We're we're going to get out of it for sure. The question just is the body count. So you know the body count. From where I'm sitting, the body count is very high because I'm speaking to families day in and day out, and you know I'm just preoccupied with all the 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 reading and the reports and the parents organizations. Um, yes, we are going to get out of it, but we're going to pay a very high price. Like, you know, we had forty thousand people get lobotomies um, <laughs> in the last century. The number is going to be higher. So. Um, there, yes, there are organizations. I want to point out, for example, the American College of Pediatricians, which is, um, yeah, so that's a group of pediatricians that um, that left the American Academy of Pediatrics when they realized that they were going radically to the left. Mm -hmm. um, you can certainly find pediatricians there. Um, you know, if people go on my website, there's a lot, a whole list of resources, Miriam, GrossmanMD.com, uh, articles, interviews, everything that you need. And I do want every parent to read this book. I put my heart and soul into it so that you can save your families from this calamity and from this social contagion. You, you can do it. It can be done. Dr. Grossman, thank you so much. Thank you for writing this book. I have, uh, like I told you off before we came, I read it. It's a terrific book. I highly recommend it. I don't, I don't do that a whole lot. And again, your website is, doc. What was your website again? Yeah, it's MiriamGrossmanMD.com. Thank you, Dr. Grossman. Thank you for your work and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Paul, for having me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Be sure to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And if you don't have one already, do not wait any longer before getting a subscription to the print edition of the New American Magazine, which offers in-depth coverage and analysis. Subscribe at thenewamerican.com or by calling our office at 800-727-8783. Have a great day and join us again tomorrow.